Hey guys, we have Zavos here on the Bluemex Virtual Podcast. Zavos, what's up? Um, we had to reschedule our, our in-person uh, podcast because uh, of all the entire crisis and the pandemic that got called. So really appreciate you taking the time to come on our virtual one and uh, talk a little more about what you're dealing with and what you're seeing in this current situation. Uh, so Zavos, I'm going to start off with uh, who you are. Can you tell us a little about yourself? Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, for anyone watching at home, Hope everyone's uh, keeping well and uh, doing something productive. So, yeah, without ado, I'll jump in, share a little bit about myself. Feel free to pick my brain. Um, I've been a serial entrepreneur since I was, I think I started my first company at 16. Nice. And I didn't have zero, I didn't have any support for this way. And nobody knew, like, what does that look like if I wanted to make my own business? I basically was pretty much on my own to figure it out. So, and I'm going to take it further back. So what I was inspired by growing up was reading a lot about like inventors, people like Graham Bell, people like uh, Edison, people like, there's a lot of them out there, right? Who've mm -hmm. shaped the reality for everyone. And the way they thought about things was usually unconventional. It was not the typical, you know, thought frame that took them to that, you know, end goal. So I was intrigued by that. And later on, I realized, well, that's what we're referring to as entrepreneurs. It's a broad mm. umbrella term, but really and truly the ones that I consider true entrepreneurs or people that are looking to expand the boundaries to, create a better world for people to really put their mind and everything that they have at their, you know, at their disposal, like everything pushes for doing something better. Yeah. And um, that said, I wanted to pursue my world that way, but I grew up in Canada in North York and at a time where there wasn't a lot of resources available to me per se. And um, seeing that struggle growing up pushed me to think differently. I don't know for other people how it would, would have been otherwise, but for me, I had to be creative. It was part of my day-to-day -day challenge, right? And um, I saw music and entertainment as the vertical that I looked at as something that could bring me hope for the future. That's something that I could get involved in. I could do something with it. I could take it on full on and do something with my life. Otherwise, I couldn't see a way towards a bright future. Um, some people maybe have it easy. Their parents gonna hand them down a company. Maybe somebody, you know, they are brought up in a world where they're literally spoon-fed entrepreneurship. I come from a world that you got to swim in muddy waters and sometimes you can't see right in front of you and you got to learn how to swim in those instances. And why I bring this up is because I've dealt with uncertainties throughout my career, throughout my life. So when something like this happened and then I see everybody losing, you know, their mind over, Oh my God, I can't think about a month from now. To me is like, I kind of laugh because it's, it's my everyday reality that you can't just take things for granted and assume 
everything's fixated. You might be yeah. in a great position. You can't think, oh, you know what? I, I, I'm great, right? But in an instant, things could change. So great entrepreneurs know that. And uh, even like Jeff Bezos, what I read somewhere, he operates always like a startup. He operates like the day one startup because in one moment, things could dismantle. So I'll stop there. But basically, a lot of that's built up my infrastructure of doing something based on social entrepreneurship, based on impact entrepreneurship. And I took music on as the first vertical because the influence behind it provided me with that. And I, I basically build on it within the music onto the movies industry, produced you know, a number of feature films, award-winning projects, work with celebrities, transition that into the whole startup world, everything that I've done, put it right back into companies that I believed in, projects that I believed in, and you know, kept my wheels in motion. And uh, from e-commerce to FinTech to more recently capital markets and the venture capitals and helping other startups kind of, um, you know, with their fundraising process, for example, and plugging them into the ecosystem and providing advice where needed. So I have a hand in a few different areas, but That's cool. very early to later stage companies, entrepreneurs, and yeah, I'll, uh, I'm going <laughs> to stop there. Yeah. So you got your hands in a few things. Um, it's kind of cool. You started with a music background. So can we talk a little bit about that? What, what about music uh, have you done? Are you a producer? Are you produce a track for other people? What do you, what do you exactly do in music? So when I started, I started as a label. That was my first company. So I, I had my hand in the creative process, producing, yeah. exec producing projects from very early on, you know, guiding the talents on their branding, on their positioning, on their marketing, all that stuff transitions right into the startup world the same way. And uh, to answer your question, yes, I did write, I did produce, and um, I wore a lot of different hats when I was very young, which enabled me to have a wider perspective when going into a project. I'm not just like experienced in one specific place. As a producer, real producers must understand the different dynamics of instruments, understand their limitations, understand how to mix and match different sounds and how to position them within a space to create one body of work. A lot of producers are referred to as people that make beats. Unfortunately, those group of, pro group of producers don't have that level of understanding around sonics and creating a body of sound. For me, I dive deep and kind of have more of a sonics background. So when I work Sorry, what, are, what are sonics? Sonics is like audio engineering. Audio engineering is a broader term mixing that's another art form of you know sound and then you know mastering is another art form in and of itself for me at one point i decided okay audio engineering isn't for me but as a producer as someone who, who likes to you know kind of package the whole thing um i played my role between the creative and business a lot so i'm drawn to commercial commercial aspect of music. I'm not one of those people that are like, oh, I want to make something really weird and say I'm really cool. That's great. But the way we refer to it in the music industry is left, very left of center. Center is commercial radio popular today. Left of center is 
very weird. Right of center is saturated stuff and things that we've heard so many times, cheesy stuff. I sit somewhat in the middle. So when I work with talents over the years, I bring them to the center. And left of center is when we have pop artists that just enter the commercial space and people love their music because they're cooler, but they're not out of reach. So you can, you can be like lean a little bit left. So to design that and bring an artist from very right or very left to that space, that's part of the artist development that could take a lot. And there's a lot of components that need to all be there for that, you know, artist to have everything. So, and I've done that, taken artists to the Grammys of the world, brought them back. Really? Okay. Yeah. And like played in that space. And why do I bring this up and highlight it is because it enabled me with tools that I would otherwise not be able to gain. You can't learn those tools in school. doesn't matter if you went to Harvard, you can't learn those tools even in um, the startup world. You got to come from a place of non-linear industry. So a linear industry being like, you know, FinTech or being a, you know, health care. Non-linear is like music or media or, you know, uh, film industry, for example, right? So there are formulas, there is a method to their madness, but it takes people many, many years to learn those or they would never make it in. So I take some of that with me. So when I enter another vertical, when I go into like e-commerce, when I go into a FinTech world, I try to leverage that understanding and growth hack my way to the next milestone. So it, it equips me with specific um, skills that, um, yeah, it's like what makes me who I am in terms of operating in different. Can you, can you talk a bit more about that? Like what, what about music, like from the music career is translating into the startup career and uh, we'll dive into the startup world yeah. afterwards. Right? I'll give you a simple example. The, you know, the artists, the bands, they're the startups. Yeah. The small labels, they're the angel investors. The <laughs> big players, the big labels, they're the VCs. So same game, different playground. And you just got to understand how to maneuver, how to position, how to time things, how to build value, and how to build moment momentum and so on. You know, this is funny because like, I've been trying to navigate that too, right? Because... I have a few friends who are artists and talking to them and talking to producers, I kind of stitch together. It's like, wait, my world and their world is kind of similar. Yeah. And the way you're talking about it is you're bridging both these worlds together. Yeah. Because in Toronto, something magical is happening, right? I mean, we have the startup tech scene blowing up. We also have music blowing up. And we also have film blowing up, right? These three different hemispheres that are kind of interrelated kind of blowing up in different kind of ways. And I mean, we here are, at Bloomex are trying to figure out, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we find the correlations between that? But you said it right there, right, right there. So right. I would, you know, 2009, I was in the studio um, with one of my artist friends and um, we were making records out of there called the Cherry Beach Sound. And next door, the very next door to us was an artist by the name of Drake uh, coming up. And uh, we, I've seen those interactions take people in different places. And I'll, I'll expand on this a little bit if you like. And 
few years into it. So when Drake was coming up with his team and we were working with phenomenal artists out of Toronto and um, one of the artists in particular, um, Haitian artist, shout out Freedom. Um, it happened that earthquake happened. One of those uncertain moments in time, huge, huge earthquake, you know, and we were sitting there and he was like, you know, he has his family there and friends there and everyone. And we canceled some shoots with Snoop Dogg and other people. We were supposed to go and do music videos. Instead, we went straight to Haiti while the earthquake was happening. No flights would go there. So we had to go to Miami. We took some medical and other things to help children there that uh, lost everything. And we went to Northern Haiti, went to, you know, where the earthquake hit as it was happening. We were there on the ground. You know, Drake's journey was he went to Miami, signed a record deal with, with Cash Money Records. So sometimes life happens as it happens, right? And um, a few years into it, I worked with another group of people and uh, we worked together closely, co-managing artists, uh, not to name name, but then I felt my path was different. So as I went taking on other projects, within some time, they found another artist by the name of The Weeknd. And uh, now they're where they are and doing what they do. But my personal mission wasn't aligned with it. And that's okay, right? So I've you know, continued in the music industry, work with other talents, a lot of other talents. And um, my mission, again, it was like, I need to do something bigger than that. So I wasn't just gonna sit and commit to that one one project or one talent or one industry because I felt like I can put my time towards other things. That's how I've transitioned into other worlds. And I'm sharing it because sometimes people don't know they can do that because they get the same advice from the same group of people that have held a nine to five all their life. And they tell them, no, 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 you need to specialize. You need to focus on this one thing. And uh, more and more those wall walls are thinning because given the nature of today's economy, a lot of people are turning to entrepreneurship. So now you want to get advice from the guy who's had a job all his life. How are you going to get to the next step? If this guy is giving you the advice that can bring you to this point in time. So you have to take risks. You have to, you know, find the people you want to learn from, or at least model after people that you look up to watch their moves closely, you know, instead of listening to people tell you what to do. And then sometimes it comes down to making the risk and then see where that goes. So that's literally operating in uncertain times, which is great tie into this segment, I guess. Right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So can we talk a little bit more about the music industry like that? We're talking about these artists being startups, labels becoming angel investors and like VCs being like, you know, larger labels and larger, um, yeah. uh, larger producers, right? Um, how did that work for the music industry? So this is the thing. This is my, my biggest problem for any artist listening. I want you to pay attention, okay? There's a lot of great talent out there, you guys who are amazing musicians. When it comes to um, your music business, you listen to the wrong advice. You watch YouTube videos or God knows where you get this advice, where people demonize the labels. They say, oh my God, Illuminati and the label, and they're going to, you know, suck the soul out of my life. And let me ask you this, where you live, your parents, whether you rent or you own a house, do you not get a mortgage from the bank? Do you not get loans from the bank? 
You do, right? So how come you don't look at the bank as the Illuminati? So you got to start putting things in right perspective. If you want to succeed, you want to be an artist, you want to be respected, you want to get momentum behind you, you want to leverage corporate power and money to help you get there to become the next Justin Bieber or Taylor Swift, you got to play the game. You got to show that you're the type of player that can play the game. You can't show up with your ego and like, oh man, you know, I'm the most talented artist, but you can't work with anyone because it takes effort. It takes revisions for those records that we hear on the radio. When I, when I was working close to with Sony, we've seen this. And a record like uh, Earned It by The Weeknd, for example, that won the Oscars, that record has been revised, as I was told, like 70 times, 70 times. Most artists in the city that I talk to, if I tell them to change, change their song three times, they're going to hate me. And because of that, labels don't push themselves on the artist. They're very, you know what? Okay, whatever you think is best for you, but then they're not going to deal with you. So mm. if you want the real advice, few people give it. And I'm telling you, you got to show that you're the type of player that wants to win the game. In Canada, in the Canadian economy, this isn't promoted. In the US, people compete either in a healthy or unhealthy way. But in Canada, we're told, you know, don't show off too much. Don't, you know, boost your ego too much. People look at you funny, right? But that's the game. Where does that, where does that come from? I mean, we're a very conservative culture, right? But we have a lot of entrepreneurial talent. We have a lot of talented people. But where does that culture come off? It's like, don't show off too much. Like, you feel like it's like a soft card, like everyone kind of tells you, kind of judges you for it? <laughs> it. I'm sharing this by observation. I don't think, yeah. I, I don't have an, you know, expertise on this, but when you look at the Americans, they're all American. When they go to yeah. school, they're all American. They have yeah. what? An American dream. That cultivates them to think like that. It's okay. Yeah. Like they would get motivated to see the next guy trying to get ahead and they move to catch up, right? So then that you have a culture like New York, you have a culture like LA. In Canada, when everybody's like taking it easy and trying to compete, but they're, they're not, they don't wanna hurt your feelings, but they wanna compete. It's like, that's only gonna go so far, right? And I'm not saying it's bad, but it depends what game do you wanna play. If you wanna be a mediocre person, mediocre player, mediocre company, mediocre entrepreneur, Great, by all means, you know, continue doing that. If you want to be freaking amazing, if you want to be number one, if you want to go pound for pound with like the heavyweights, you got to look at it. Those are the types that are aggressive. And here, if I'm talking like this anywhere else other than your, your podcast, I guess, people are going to look at me like I'm aggressive. I've been told that, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Versus yeah. you have passion, you have drive. So let's go, let's work together. Let's you know, yep. put our best, you know, whatever we got on the table and let's all move as a unit. Unfortunately here, due to the multiculturalism, everybody's in their own little community, this and that. I think that's what's keeping people separate. Yeah, so I think, I think that's an interesting interplay between that. Like, I, I agree with you that it's a different type of uh, comparative landscape here, but I also argue that it, it, it allows us a competitive advantage. That's so there's two types of there's two types of competition that I see, right? So combative uh, competition and cooperative competition. So combative is like you know one versus one. It's Pepsi versus like Coke. You know, it's like, it's one or the other, right? We're 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 going to war with each other. 
to be the top. Uh, cooperative is like, how can we work together to further our, uh, further our cause together? Um, so, and I think Canadians are really behind this, where it's like, cool, I might be, I have a business, you might be an artist, you might do this, but how can we work together to build a, a brand or an identity or something or provide value to something together? And the togetherness, I think, is very um, kind of ingrained in, in Canadian culture because, again, like you said, we're not one nation, right? We're a multi multicultural kind of capacity, right? And you go down, uh, down the street on Toronto and ask somebody, it's like, hey, hey, what are you, right? New York, you ask somebody, what are you? I'm a New Yorker. You go to other parts of America, I'm American, yeah. right? But here yeah. in Toronto, people will be like, oh, I'm Italian. Even though they've been around here, the family's been here for about three generations. That's you know, something. I'm Greek, I'm Tamil. I want to actually jump right in about this because you're referring to identity. And this yes. is another thing. Since I, I didn't think we're going to be focused so much on the music stuff, but in the entertainment world, identity plays a strong role. Why do we have such artists that are so powerful or they become huge brands is because that identity is designed mm -hmm. to trigger certain emotional um, you know, points in people through their music, through their story. And um, basically, the identity that artists get attached to that was a collaborative effort of groups of people around them helping them create. This is stuff that I've experienced with artists as well, where five people are helping create a brand. One person is going to be the face of it. But if that person doesn't have the mental capacity, the mental health to understand their position, they might easily forget who they are and start to identify so strongly with this whole brand that's created, right? And the result might be devastating. That's why some artists can't handle it after some period of time. When you compare to the movie industry, actors are trained to go into a character, come out of a character. But the problem that I've experienced with a lot of artists is that Artists don't know how to do that. Most of them are trying to escape their personal world. So as soon as they attach themselves to a made up character, they think that's them and it's going to damage their mental state. So that's something I'm sharing it out loud because I promised myself at one point in time that, you know what, if I'm going to help any artists, any individuals, the health has to be integrated. It has mm. to be a conversation to have. So I encourage people to, question yourself, like question your motives. Like, are you escaping the reality and you want to, you know, mask it with an identity? That's okay. But understand that's not you. That's not the real you. Because if it doesn't go the way you want it to, and then, you know, it's hard to accept things in life. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a combined drive behind entrepreneurs and artists is the, the escapism, right? I'm yeah. doing all this. I'm putting in 80 hours, a hundred hours a week into this project, into this idea, uh, because I'm trying to escape my reality. I'm trying to avoid the box that I've been put into and try to grow into something else, flower to something else. Um, and it's really interesting you're saying about that, that the ability to come back to like, you know, what the reality is right now versus what you're trying to project and portray. And because of that, I think if you look at today's situation with COVID-19, a lot of people were living in their bubble and they thought it's a permanent bubble. And nature knows best. At the end of the day, we don't know as people how the hell does the sun operate? We have ideas about it. Really, really smart people think they understood what an atom is, what a molecule is, but they, they still don't know. 99% is 
void. They don't understand it. That's why we're headed towards the quantum era. So no human being is smart enough or was ever smart enough to figure it out. So life is way greater than what me as a person in my little brain would be able to conceive. Once you get to that point where, you know, you can give up control to the greater happening that we're all Yeah, it's not even just like the sun or the secrets of the universe we're talking about, right? Even this. How is it that I'm looking at this device and talking to you that's in another part of the city and you're communicating like this, right? Like in video format. How does this work, right? Like, do I not know? Do you know? Probably not, right? Like most people, again, do not know how this works, but we take it for granted, right? So you're right about shifting bubbles. Like imagine if our power grid one goes out and this all disappears. Okay, how long will it take to put it back together? Like, you know, you put me on an island for like a hundred years. I'm not going to figure out how to make this, you know, how long does it take you to figure out Wi-Fi? It's, you're never going to do it, right? You're never going to do it. And a lot of, a lot of like what we take for granted is built by, you know, by a multi-generational support mechanism. I right? want a lot of smart people working kind of together co- cooperatively and combatively to build these kind of systems on top of each other and removing us from the system shows us how weak and vulnerable we are. Um, so let's, let's dive into that with uh, COVID-19, right? So, I mean, I mean how- exactly like to your point, because the reality that we grew up in, or I like to reference it differently for the sake of, you know, making it a bit entertaining. If you look at it like a game, you know, this whole business world, economy is a game. Somebody or groups of people who aren't here anymore created it, mm-hmm. you know, and now you and I are born into it. A lot of people are born into it. They don't know they're born into the middle of a game. So then they struggle, emotionally struggle to understand why is everything the way it is? Whose fault is it? Why? Right? And those questions, I've had those questions. I'm sure other people are watching. They have those questions. But you got to really look at the infrastructure of the game. This is a corporate game. This is a legal game. So the, the laws are built for everyone's safety, for everyone's, you know, for us to be able to evolve and grow and uh, do more things, right? We created those laws and those are evolving too. But as a corporate game, you have to have a corporate identity if you want to be able to grow. If you don't understand it, you're always the victim. You don't know why, you know, why are these corporations always ahead of me? And, you know, they take advantage of me and they give me policies. And so learn the game, educate yourself to understand what is this economy that you're in? Maybe some people watching are very educated. Maybe they've gone to, you know, university and have those degrees. But when you dig deeper, and why I'm getting to this is because you look at it like a game, then if, let's say you lost your job, let's say you got fired, let's say you got beat down, all of that's part of that game. If you were playing soccer, basketball, or something like that, and if you forgot you're in that game, and then you, you know, fell down or you fouled or you did something. And then it's like, oh my God, now I'm out the game or whatever. It's just a game. You can get back up. You can, you know, figure it out, play better next time. Keep playing. That's really easy, simple advice. It might be laughable, but for a lot of people, they don't know that. They don't know they have the right. So when they fail, they feel like it's over because I was told all my life not to fail. But I'm encouraging you because I've failed hundreds of times to get to this point of realization that you know what it's just a game so 
whether it's COVID-19 and we're going through it, whether it's whatever, it's going to pass. We're going to find ourselves in another moment in time. And why we have those laws is for everybody's safety. So that's why we have to listen. We have to follow the experts' advice. If we have to stay home, it's for everybody's safety, right? And yeah. No, absolutely. I, li- I like the idea of that because almost every like, successful, quote-unquote, successful person I've talked to, right, whether it be an entrepreneur, uh, uh, like, um, an investor, professionals, artists, like, they all have this idea that life is a game or the industry they're in is in a game. And what they've done is figure out the rules, right? Once you figure out the rules, the characters, and what you can and can't do, uh, you can figure out if I do X, I get X results back out. That's what it is. You can develop a formula. You develop a formula to your life and, your, and the results you want to get out of it, right? And That's if you can have a, the formula to plug and play things into, then boom, you're going to get repeatable results that you can repeat. Uh, Ray Dalio, right, runs like one of the biggest hedge funds in the world. And he recently released his book, Principles, which he talks about a lot about. And I encourage everyone to talk about this. And he talks a lot about this. He doesn't use the word game, but he talks about rules, the principles being rules. It's like test things out in life and figure out a rule set. If you do this, then this can happen. If you do this, then this is the result. If I, if I do this, then I, I can get this. And you could develop these like formulas, micro formulas that can apply to certain situations. Right? And as you grow and you develop these formulas, it removes the thinking of like having to handle shock. Right? Because this has happened, okay, perfect. I know how to plug this in. This has happened, okay, I can test these things out and figure out for later what else to do. And you're right. I think most people are born into the world and they're just shocked and confused about what to do, what they are, who to be. And the people who kind of get it are the ones who are like, you know what, this is what I want. This is what's fun for me, what I enjoy doing. I'm going to go pursue this. That's right. And, as they, and if they chase that, they're, they're, not chasing, they're not chasing money. They're not chasing end results. They're chasing progress, trying to be a continual player in the game. And the one thing you said that stands out, I think, when you describe the rules and who you are and where you should be, when you look at it in the context of a game, let's say a basketball game or whatever game, right, whatever sports game, um, you can see where your skill sets are. Do I want to be striker? Do I want to be a midfield? Like, do I want to be the coach? And then you can grow. You can, you know, be okay with failing. You can be okay with, you know, missing a shot. You can... Look at it like that. And then as you're playing a game, you're not playing as somebody. Like if, I'm, yeah. if we're both in a team playing, we're just playing. And that's another thing that helps you not get stuck in your own psychological state and, you know, figuring out who am I supposed to be. It's like just play. Play your best. Learn. Right? It's all good at the end of the day. And if, like you said, we take a lot of basic things for granted. At the end of the day, if I'm breathing, if I'm all right, if my family's all right, and buy food and I have shelter and those things are the basic necessities. Now this COVID-19 is bringing us to realize it. So yes. one of the things I'm really excited about is the idea of like UBI, right? So uh, universal basic income. So what's going to happen now if the, if the government's like, you know what, I'm going to hand out $2,000 a month checks to everybody. You lost your job, you're independent, you're self-employed, whatever. Everybody gets $2,000 a month. Well, Pre-COVID-19, everyone's like, oh, you give everybody money, they're not going to do any work. But think about in the current reality, right? Your rent's taken care of. You're not going to starve to death. You have some money coming in. It puts you in a context, what am I going to do for my life? What am I going to do for my existence? What am I going to do to create value, to have meaning, to have purpose? 
And I, I feel like we're at this genesis point where like, yes, this virus has disrupted everything and wiped away a lot of things we're taking for reality. You know, put, you know we're, it's, but it's also exposed our debt crisis. It's exposed how fragile our system is. And it brought together, it bringing together like a billion people across the world who are all the field that affects them. So a lot of people I'm talking to are seeing it's like, this is a great opportunity. As disruptive as it is, as, as, as negative as it is, it also brings forth an opportunity for great change and great progress. And this is really a real lightning strike moment for our lifetime. Like uh, we're the biggest in a, few, in a few generations we've seen where we can generate real big change, right? And I think it's gonna be a grassroots thing, especially if people, everyday people like me and you are just sitting here having these kind of discussions. We're trying to figure out what can I do to matter, to be, to do things that, that uh, have a sense of purpose and direction, right? Absolutely. So, just and so like, I, I'm hoping that more artists, more entrepreneurs, more people emerge in this market space because now it's like, what else do you do? You're sitting at home, you're stuck, right? But you have internet, you're able to connect. You can, you know, very cheaply, you can actually transact and do things. Absolutely. And the thing is what people take for granted or when you look back in history, America or Canada, they're built on the efforts of small businesses on the efforts of yeah. entrepreneurs that hold the whole infrastructure of the economy. So now that something like this has happened, all the bigger corporations that put their weight down and they're like, you know what? No, no, no. We don't want to pay as much tax. No, no, we don't have to pay as much. It's like you're now you have to face the reality because if you get rid of the small businesses, you will be out of business ultimately. So yeah. now they have to be creative. It's encouraging change. It's encouraging ways to collaborate but this should have been there to begin with you know if people Absolutely. aren't greedy if people aren't just after dollars and trying to get to the top always everybody would be able to you know have enough to be creative the two thousand dollars a month whether it's you know through universal basic income or the, the the idea has been passed around for some time i mean yeah there are people who just want to take advantage just to get by and not do anything but then there are people who, who want to actually contribute to the society, me being one of them, yourself, other people. Mm -hmm. And I can't say I've received a lot of benefits or support as an entrepreneur in the city that I'm in represent even to date. We have to do a lot of the grassroots work. We have to get out there, do a lot of that. And entrepreneurs here feel like, like something's off. It's been like that for some time, for the past few years. People go to some of the biggest organizations in the city they're like, this doesn't seem to be what it advertises. Yeah. There are people that wear the cap of an advisor. They don't know your pain points. So yeah. how are these people getting paid again? Is it the government? Is it the corporate sector? And then, you know, they send back surveys saying, oh, no, we're supporting entrepreneurs. That's the real issue. Because if we pay attention to those people who could get, get the support that they need to do something good with it, definitely the economy will benefit. And, you know, yeah, yeah. You talk about the exploitive nature of people, right? So people who put themselves into positions of power and gateways where money is being handed out, right? Like, and there, it gets very political, right? Yeah. When you're, when you have any kind of gateway where people can be like, oh, this is a company that we have a $200 million venture capital firm and we, you know, write $2 million checks. You have a lot of power and say in reality, right? And that kind of gets to you. So you're not really operating in a sense of like, uh, in a purpose or like a vision, but you're operating in a sense of where, where like, 
where how can I excise my power and how can I maximize my return? Right. I'm glad you mentioned that because there are a lot of people, whether they're small VC funds, whether they're angel investors, whether they're, and somebody made $5,000 investment in something, they walk around town, they're like, I'm an investor. And then young entrepreneur doesn't know. It's like, oh my God, they, you know, bow to them and like buy them coffee, whatever. And that's the reality that needs to change because startups, entrepreneurs, artists, do your due diligence as a person. Feel the power that you can ask questions, you know, give yourself the strength and power to ask questions. You know, what is your investments look like? What is the range of your investment capacity? Those are things you can ask, right? Don't just believe in someone that sits in front of you and plays the, the game and says, I'm an investor and waste your time or an advisor and waste your time. So I made a mission for myself. I spent time thinking about it. I stopped playing this game for two to three years. I was just meditating because I was hit with a lot of those questions myself. I felt devastated. I went through a real like downturn because I just couldn't understand what is going on. And after meditation and, you know, working on myself and just not playing the game to win, I was able to ask myself some of those questions to figure out, okay, what is my mission? Like, what, what am I doing all this for at the end of the day? Like, is it worth yeah. it? So one can of the things I want to share... Yeah, I want to share something with the audience actually is this is a simple exercise I ask some of my clients to do. Ask yourself this, like in 10 years from now or 20 years from now, or if that's too long for you, five years from now, like how much money do you want that's going to satisfy you? Pick your number, right? So I don't know. Let's say you pick a number right now. Work with me on this. Okay, sorry. So you're asking for a number of how yeah, much? Pick a number. Like, how much money do you think, if you had five or ten years from now, is like a lot of money for you? That like, you know, just an exercise. Two hundred. I have the exact number. I have the exact number. Actually. What is it? Two hundred twenty-two million. Two hundred twenty-two million. Love it. There is no wrong answer. There's no right answer. For you, two hundred twenty million dollars gives you that sweet spot when you think about it, right? And mm -hmm. you want to aim for it. All right. Now I want you to ask the question a little bit differently. 10 years from now, right? If you had that money today, let's say right now, if you had that $220 million today, will, will this money make all your problems that you ever experienced growing up losses, all the you know, pain and suffering, anything that you've experienced, will this money make it go away? Not at all. Okay. So ask yourself, what is it that if you had, what is it that if you had it would make you feel like your life, your problems, your pain and suffering was worth experiencing, was worth living? Take a few minutes, think about that. No, I actually think about this a lot. So for me, the money is not about solving my problems or you know, healing myself. That's, I, I see that as a different issue. I see, I understand that now. Um, my goal is because that just a milestone into what I want to do next, right? My next phase of my life, um, which is building large projects, much more, in, in, you know, in, I want to build infrastructure, you know, sure. like it, it, I want to build a legacy that outlives me. You know, I want to work on projects that help solve issues of poverty, um, you know, helps heal, the, the, the trauma from, from the colonization period of history, right? Uh, traumas that people hold, 
to um, helping people be more creative and do more amazing but at scale right so, so for me the money is it allows me to pursue further objectives larger goals so this is the thing that we all do in our head so I'm glad you, you thank you for participating in this what you just shared your answer your mission your life force what motivates you that comes out of this that you just shared with us and you don't need to think about that step of if I get to the 220, then I get to do this. Don't do that. Just do things that would inspire you from within. So your fire is burning and you don't need the money for that. The projects and the money find itself. And that's how you align yourself with your mission. And this took me a long while for myself, but to share with you my mission, I feel like if I was to impact a million entrepreneurs lives over the next decade, that could, tenfold into 10 people they talk with, maybe change lives in that manner. So to stay true with my mission that excites me is like any chance I get to talk to an entrepreneur, whether it's here today, whether it's through this, we're making that change and impact together. So it, it's aligned with my mission. So I'm absolutely in, I'm all in, you know, and that, you can tell from me the way I'm talking, I'm not holding back. So yeah. same for you because your mission is loud and clear. Um, you're going to impact lives today. You don't need to put your dreams on pause for 10 years to reach $220 million. And that's something that I think if we all start to do, um, yeah. we're going we're gonna to have new generation of entrepreneurs, impact entrepreneurs that think differently and make a lot of positive impact. In the world. No, I think, I think you're, you're onto something there. For me, like I, I frame it in a different kind of context. So I do a similar kind of exercise. Whenever people come to me, it's like, hey, Ravi, I have this idea. Can you help me with it? Can you, network? Can you introduce me to some person, people or you know, can you give me some advice? I always sit down and listen to what they want to build. Mostly I deal with entrepreneurs, right? Very little with artists. And entrepreneurs like, I have this idea I want to build. I really think so. And I, I, and I stop them and I ask, because how important is this idea? You know, and they tell me always oh, what it means, is the numbers behind it, is the pain points, is how much it's, it's worth. I'm like, cool. Let's say a year from now, two years from now, whenever, if you were to remove yourself from this idea, will it still function? And will it still continue uh, purpose, uh, serving the purpose it's meant to, uh, meant to solve, solving the pain points it's meant to solve? Well, can it uh, exist without you? And they stopped and they're like, uh, yeah, hopefully, like maybe, right? People will get themselves. And second is like, what, would you be okay if the idea goes on without you getting any credit for it, right? How important is this idea that if you can remove your ego from it, that it's more important than you're fulfilling your ego? Because if you can hit that, if this idea is so important that even if you had to go in the shadows or you had to step away from it, you can build an infrastructure around it that can serve and build this idea, whether it be a company, an organization, right, or a movement, it can have a life on, on its own because that means that's how important this idea is, that it's self-fulfilling. It'll run on its own. Right? Absolutely. And if, absolutely. You, and if you can find a purpose that is that important to you, that you're willing to set aside yourself, put your ego aside to, uh, to serve it, you're going to save yourself a lot of problems. And you know, and those are the people I want to work with. The thing that you mentioned, it, it, something that comes to mind is like a lot of the projects, when I look back, the things that I get excited about or I want to put my time in, they're usually scalable ones. The, the ones that are really big or now they refer to as moonshots sometimes. 
And um, it takes many, many, many years for some of those bigger projects to get, you know, picked up. And so you have to be committed to them. And um, throughout that process, I've seen people, you know, trying to quickly do something that benefits them today or benefits them next month. That way of thinking is holding, you know, someone back if they want to reach the kind of goals that are attainable, they just take longer period of time, period, you know, period of commitment from everybody involved. So in startups, a lot of times that's what happens. I've seen that, you know, founders are quickly looking for results. They're not committed for long-term growth and building relationships and building themselves. And so after six months, they're like, Oh, the idea doesn't work, but maybe it wasn't the idea, you know? And so, with what you're mentioning, that's the correct way of actually building something where you remove yourself. The real investments are made in companies that are, you know, exactly as you described. They can run. Yeah. Well, I'm, what I'm looking for is people who are willing to set, set aside ego, because ego is a killer of great ideas. It really is. It, it fuels you to like take it, take advantage of situations to maximize your return. You focus about yourself more than more than this idea or more than this thing you're building. It can be a drain on resource. And I've found that moving people who are willing to put aside their ego to work on something greater, it, you know, the idea is much more viable that way. And you know what? It's much more fun that way. When you deal with people who have ego to be like, ego tricks, like, no, it has to be my way. It has to be my idea uh, that generates this effect, that, that pushes the needle towards this angle, right? I need credit for this. I need my name on this. I need this stuff. Like, <laughs> I, th I think that that, that, that that kills an organization, that, kill, that creates a toxic culture, right? Absolutely. And I think I, I'm on a mission with that too. Like one of my, one of my dreams is to build like a collective, right? Like uh, I talk about, I talk about this guy a lot. So uh, Naval Ravikant, uh, one of the co-founders of Agent List, right? He talks about how the future of work is heading to where high level work is being distributed to, the, to people. So you can wake up one day, look at your phone, have a bunch of tasks that you can do. And if you do, you get paid for it. You know, and I was thinking about that. I'm like, what are, what are amazing world that would be where like you focus on building skills that you need. Right. And when you apply and you get to choose what to apply for that. Right. Right. Like I, 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 I'm one of those people. One of the reasons that entrepreneurship uh, like is so appealing to me is that the idea of sitting in a work, work workspace in a corporate yeah. office, and being told what to do. And everybody knows that, no, you're not really working 40 hours a week. You're not really doing full on impactful work. You're sitting there just being available so the company feels secure that, you know, they can control the, the all aspects of the business. And you might do four to eight hours of actual work that kind of steamrolls into something bigger, but you have no purpose. You have no direction. You don't feel no impact. And that's, that's, that's a killer of life. That's something I think with what you're saying, culture, you know, comes directly, founders reflect that. So I want to actually share something really basic, but when you look at babe, like kids, really young kids, like five, six years old, playing, you know, just, yeah. just within your family or if you have siblings or whatever, if you have young children at home, you watch these kids play, right? And that's going to directly reflect on the type of leadership people hold when they're adults. It's as simple as that. And I'll, I'll break it down for you. If I don't know what type of kid you were, <clears throat> but like as a kid, let's say I always like to share stuff, right? If I have the newest toy, I share it. I get joy out of sharing it. Some other kid might have the newest toy and say, no, look at me play with it. 
And when you have the same, that kind of person become CEO of a company, what do you think they're doing? Look at me in my newest car. Look at me in my whatever. I got the investment. I did this. Look at me play with it and you work for me. When you look at some other cultures, look at a Google. Look, just by observation, you can tell. They created a different kind of culture where even the first employees who entered the company, they became CEOs. Whether you're CEO of the YouTube department or CEO of Google. And that's kids who essentially know how to play. It's not about me holding the best toy. And that's what's not taught properly in schools, in my opinion. So part of my whole thing is that to encourage leadership in a way that, um, you know, you can't say I'm an advisor, I'm a, I'm a consultant, I exited companies and, you know, you have a good life and you want to help some startup that you're taking, you know, five, six percent of their company, but you don't relate to them. They don't relate to you. So either you get your hands involved and you actually do the work, you mean what you say, or you're like the other kid. So that's something, I mean, if anyone's watching, even if one person gets impacted by this, I'm good. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, we talked a lot about uh, ideas we have for future uh, and uh, your history as an artist, but we haven't really touched uh, much about uh, your entrepreneurial journey, right? So you um, started a company as well? I've started, I, th I think I've co-founded over 10 or 11 companies over the past decade. And when I went, usually, so there was a company I started back, back in the day, 2000, and I think it was 2010. And there was no incubator that I knew of, at least. And I was very young in early 20s, or, you know. And I went straight to, I literally took my founders, we flew straight to Silicon Valley. And I walked into the offices of Sean Parker and Sequoia and, <laughs> and just because I was hungry and I said, yeah. here, let's go. Here's the elevator pitch, right? And I yeah. made some connections. Um, Roloff Butler was one of the guys who's Elon Musk's friend and runs Sequoia. Uh, I made like certain connections like that. And I learned, okay, you know, the timing, I should be there at a certain time versus, you know, whatever, or how to approach certain things. But that's a painful process. That's a painful process that now a lot of entrepreneurs have access to these incubators and accelerators to make their jobs easier, but they're not hungry. They're not here to make yeah. something to help the world. They're here to just show off that, oh, I did an exit. And um, that's a problem that I have with a lot of those folks. I can't respect people that are, that are just there to jump on the bandwagon when I know many people like myself have put their life on the line, made serious risks to be considered an entrepreneur. So... I mean, they could consider themselves entrepreneurs, but if they haven't earned the stripes, it's going to be vivid when interacting with different people at different levels down the road. That's when you're going to you know, not be able to scale your company from 10 to 100 or 1,000. It's a leadership uh, requirement at that point. So um, that's one thing that I learned earlier on, and I sort of been learning by failing and by trial and error. So I've had other successes made you know, a brand back in 2012 here in the city, we had 35 stores. Growth hacked it in two months and competing with G-Shock at the time. I didn't look at it like something great, but it was significant traction. I was selling, you know, branded products like hot cake and I didn't take it as serious, mostly because people that I was interacting with, they didn't also take it as serious. Mm -hmm. And um, so from a project like that, I basically bought shares from my, you know, partner at the time and then 
invested stuff into another project. And for example, I have a project that's been in stealth mode for, I believe it's now six or seven years. And I literally kept feeding it, kept feeding it, kept feeding it. This is never advised at any incubator. They're like, go and fail fast, quickly, three weeks. If your project <laughs> doesn't work, don't do it. I kept feeding this one particular project in e-commerce. And now this year we're ready to launch it. And um, it, it's so scalable, but it is a risk on my end and my partners and whether or not we can position it, whether or not people want it. So I applied the strategies that are fit for that project, if it makes sense. And because it was a long-term project, I had my time to be able to jump into other projects and scale them or quickly learn um, and do things. I spearheaded a payment company a year, year and a half ago, grew its valuation to about 8 million USD within you know, six or seven months, which is unheard of in this state or in this you know, ecosystem in Toronto. But, um, and then we consolidated the assets for various reasons, but there are ways you can grow your company. There are ways you can you know, think outside the box, apply the creative stuff you know, and figure out how to drive uh, your company to build its value. But you gotta know what game you're playing. Maybe some startups, some entrepreneurs, some founders, they're making companies just to make revenue. So they're okay with making you know, $100,000 a year or a million dollars a year. And it's like, oh, I have revenue and I'm in business. Great, That's, there's no right or wrong. But that's a different game than if you wanna build a venture back company, going and raise you know, several millions of dollars, you know, one series and then another round and whatever, to build something massive, such as an Uber or an Airbnb. So different model, different game. You gotta really know what game you wanna play and uh, which project is fit for what. If a project is not 100X potential scalable, then you can't force it into growing like that. You have to pivot or you have to, you know, dismantle it and, you know, change the strategies to grow it that far. Um, but if you're looking to create businesses and there's nothing wrong with businesses that are smaller and they're sustainable and um, actually provide value to people. So I'm all for that as well. And I've had my hand in all kinds of different projects. And um, like I said, I have a small portfolio of my own companies that I'm still co-founder in. And uh, the way I manage my time is, is not like the typical people that are just zoomed in on one company. And um, so it takes, certain skills to be able to maneuver between stuff, but yeah. Cool. Ben Zagosh, it's been uh, close to an hour now. Uh, I feel like we just kind of flew through our conversation because we're yeah. really really well. Um, yeah, this has been great, great conversation. I hope to have you on again soon so we can dive more into this kind of, this kind of material. I think it's super important to get out. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all the knowledge that you have gained and experiences. I feel like there's a lot more stories we can pull out of you, right? Especially with, I, I want to hear more about the Sequoia and uh, Sean Parker thing. That, that, that thing itself requires There's a lot more stories where those came from, that's for sure. <laughs> Perfect. So I'm going to end the recording right now, but let's stick around for five minutes. We'll do a quick debrief and go from there. Okay, buddy? Absolutely, man.